Michelle is 31 years old and she was deported to Jamaica from the UK in September 2016. She'd been living in the UK since she was 12 years old and was deported because of a criminal conviction she committed in her early 20s. Michelle was separated from her partner, her stepchildren and her mother by deportation, who all remained in England. Sadly, Michelle's mother died a year or so after she was deported and she was unable to attend her funeral. While in the tabloid press, foreign criminals are constructed as monsters who should be deported at all costs, this interview offers a more complex and human portrait of a person who has been exiled from her home in the world. In this interview, Michelle looks back over her whole life, selecting the soundtrack which helps tell her story. Of course, Desert Island Discs on BBC Radio 4 concerns the biographies of famous, successful and important people, not deported ex-offenders. There is something jarring too about asking Michelle to imagine being banished to a desert island, when she was, in fact, deported to an island over 4,500 miles from the place where she grew up. Jamaica is not a desert island, but holiday brochures do market the Caribbean as a kind of paradise. This paradise invites us to collectively forget the histories of slavery and colonialism which have led us to our grossly unequal prisons. And deportation too requires this collective amnesia around Britain's history. Michelle's story encourages us not to forget, not to forget her and others like her, and not to forget that there are different ways to tell a story about a criminal, a foreigner and a deportee. As with the other episodes, this conversation contains descriptions that listeners might find distressing. More specifically, Michelle talks about domestic abuse, self-harm, suicidal thoughts, and goes on to describe the extreme forms of state violence she witnessed in detention and on her deportation charter. Okay, thanks Michelle. So, can you start by telling us where you were born and where you grew up? Okay, so I was born in Jamaica in a big parish called St. Catherine, Linstead. Um, left Jamaica when I was 12, moved to England and basically spent all my teenage years there until I was 26 years old. And what was it like moving from Jamaica to England? Do you remember? At first it was hard. It was, the thing is I didn't even know that I was leaving. Mm -hmm. I found out like the night before we flew mm. the morning. Wow. Never saw anyone packed any suitcases. Didn't hear anyone say, oh, you may be going somewhere. I just woke up the morning. My auntie started doing my hair. I started putting on the nicest of clothes and suitcases start popping out from all directions. I'm like, hey, what's going on? But my mom was living in the UK at the time, so at the time they said it was a surprise. It was a surprise plan for me to go and visit my mom. And yeah, that's how I ended up in England. And do you have many memories of Jamaica before as, as a child? You say your mum was in England. Um, yeah, I have memories. I remember um, when I was here, I used to be athletic. I used to take part in... Um, athletic things that to do with my school as a runner, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, my life basically was just set on trying to become a runner. Um, I attended a school called um, Charlie Mount and Asafa Powell, one of our great athletes, mm -hmm. used to attend there as well. We used to train on the fields. I always wanted to be like him because at that time he was the bomb. So, you know, yeah, my thing was just running. I never really had much, um, what you would say, um, play time, because my focus was just running. That was my thing. So yeah, Jamaica was good for me, athletic-wise. So my mind was not even on moving to go anywhere else, because I always just said being here is the only place I can actually, you know, fulfill that career of becoming an athlete. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a good point to introduce your first, uh, your first song, and you've picked a Michael Jackson song first. So yeah. You can tell us about that. Okay, Michael Jackson. At the time when I was going to England, that was the in song. You know, just came out everywhere you go. You there, you rock my world, <laughs> and you know I'd always stand and be dancing, and 
when I went to England, it was also a song that was being played regularly. And, and every time I would hear the song in England, it would just bring my memories back to Jamaica. So yeah, when I went to England the first year, it was just my song that kept me going. Okay, so where was it you were living in the UK? Okay, so when I came, um, I was living in Birmingham. Uh, oh, I've had so many different addresses. <laughs> I lived in Ladywood. Um, when we just, just arrived, we was there for the first six months. And then after that, I moved to a place called Nichols. And then after that, <laughs> we moved to a place called Erdington. And then we finally settled in a place called Handsworth. Uh, and when you say we, who, who you know? That would have been me and my mom, my stepdad and my um, sibling, my little brother. Did you, were you aware, I guess, of immigration issues at this time or was that not something you were thinking about as a child? At that time, I didn't even know there was something called immigration. I didn't even know about having to sort out papers. It was never a thing that used to be spoken about in my house, being that my stepdad was a social worker. And, you know, now that I'm older, I understand things more. He was the person that, you know, was taking care of that side of things. So it was never an issue that was brought up or did they, like my mom or my stepdad didn't tell me, oh, you need to be careful of this or you need to do that because you may go back to Jamaica. It was. Mm -hmm nothing like that just lived mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe that's a good time for your next track okay so if you want to introduce the so solid crew track that you've chosen for track two okay um i chose so solid crew um 21 seconds to go when i came to england i used to hear all these type of music these pops garage and all sorts and i used to think what is this like I can't even understand what they're saying because, you know, you're used to the Jamaican reggae music and for me it's understandable, but then all these fast rapping and it was hard to understand. But then I heard So Solid Crew 21 seconds ago. Didn't catch the words at first, but, you know, the jumping up mm -hmm. and, you know, it still always have me hyped. So I started listening to it often and then my stepdad also was a promoter. He would mm -hmm. do like carnivals and stuff like that. So I remember going to, I think it was Nottingham Carnival, because he normally works at the carnivals between Nottingham, Manchester, Birmingham, and a few more. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but I'm sure it was Nottingham Carnival, and So Solid Crew performed that very song. And oh, from I heard it, and I finally caught the little songs, and I was gassed. So that became my favorite. I wouldn't want to call it English song, but you know, it was my English song. All right, cool. <laughs> 21 seconds to go Cause if you like me, let me know Let me in the studio I got 21 seconds before I got to go Did you see me on the video? Oh no Did you see me on the video? Oh no So if you like me, let me know Let me in the studio I got 21 seconds before I got to go Did you see me on the video? Oh no Did you see me on the video? Oh no So if you like me, let me know Let me in the studio I got 21 seconds before I got to go 21 seconds 21 seconds 21 seconds 21 seconds 21 seconds to say what I got to say Oh, you won't let me anyway. Now I'm 
Okay, and then after you finished school, did you stay living in the West Midlands with your family, or...? Um, well, I finished school, um, obviously at the age of 16. Um, I went to college for a year, trying to do health and social care. I was so good at it, like, you know, growing up, all I wanted ever to be was either a nurse or a paediatrician, so doing health and social care was everything for me, mm -hmm. you know, being focused, trying to be on top of my work, everything, but then towards the end of finishing my level two, um, because of the grades that I left high school with, you know, I could have done the level two course rather than level one. So I did level two and towards the ending where you have to start going for work experience. So that would be working into a hospital or working into the nursery. I couldn't do that because mm -hmm. I didn't have a passport, didn't have my papers oh. that certified, you know, that I'm able to work with persons. Mm -hmm. So um, I had to stop with the intention that, you know, I would be able to do it the following year. Came, went home, explained to my dad, like, you need to do something because I need to finish this course. My teachers would call and they would speak to my mom, please, she's doing so well, it would be bad to take her out at such a level that she's at, do what you can. But I don't know what my stepdad was going through or did he not really understand or maybe he just didn't want to do it. Um, so I ended up leaving home because of the frustration, not being able to go to school. He couldn't give a good enough explanation as to why he's taking so long to sort out our papers. And I just couldn't deal with him anymore. Mm -hmm. And then the relationship he had with my mom started to become abusive as well. And because my mom had no papers, she would endure the situation. Mm -hmm. and. I'm the type of person I would always try to get involved and then the argument then would turn to me. I'm not being a child. I don't understand myself. Grown people are having arguments and I'm getting involved. So the frustration, not going to school, being stuck in the house with them and their nonsense. I ended up just leaving home and going to live with a boyfriend at that time. Mm -hmm. um, my boyfriend at that time was older than me by a lot. Mm -hmm. He was, I was 17, he was 21, he was working, so, you know, living with him, it was easier in a sense where even though I couldn't work, I was home alone during the days while he's at work, so I didn't have to endure no arguments, I didn't have to put up with anything that would stress me. So being with him the first couple months was very relaxing and he took care of me. I wasn't short of anything. Then he became very jealous and abusive and he would lock me in the house. He would take the key with him to work. Um, the windows we had had keys as well that closed them. He would take the keys as well for the windows. All he would give me is a little pot to wean when he goes to work. So I have to stay in that room, I can't leave because you don't know if I get the chance to go outside, am I going to just disappear, am I going to find new friends and start being different, am I going to meet a different guy. So he was just, you know, um, abusive. So I had to run away from that situation as well and then I ended up in London. London was nice, the party life, the night life, you know, it was constantly busy. If I don't feel like sleeping, I can go outside and walk around and, you know, the place is lively. So being in London, it was like foreign, like I'm finally in foreign, <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, London was nice until I started getting involved in bad crowds and bad things started to happen. I think it's time for another piece of music, but we'll come back to that. Okay. Um, so you've picked a song by... Buju Banton. Yes, Buju Banton. Um, it's not an easy road. So I chose Buju Banton because it wasn't easy. It wasn't mm. easy at all. And when I listen to that song, it brings all of those past, the bad things, you know, back up. But then at the same time, I'm kind of glad for the experience, if that makes sense. 
those experiences has taught me how to be stronger. So when certain things happened in my life, like I was, I was already prepared to deal with it. Okay, and before you were saying that when you were in London, you were things started to go bad. So mm -hmm. maybe you could talk about that. A okay, bit. so um, my friend, she didn't work. She was on benefits. Um, I couldn't work obviously because I had not no qualification. I had no papers. So we would basically live off what she would get from her benefits. Till you know, um, we started to party a lot. Like we were out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, seven days of the week we'd be out. And then by going out, you start meeting people. And then before you know it, you start doing bad things. Like my friends used to, even though I was always that kind of person, like I don't really want to involve myself in certain things. But then at the same time, I would condone those things. As in most of my female friends, they would shoplift. I wouldn't get involved because I've always had a thing for going to prison or even just being caught by the police in any wrongdoing. So they would always leave me outside to keep a watch or if anything goes wrong, I'm the voice to explain to family members, oh, this is what happened. So, you know, they would shoplift and then we'd ended up starting, to, well, they would take as much things that they could and then they started selling to like, we'd call them top guys. So those would be like drug dealers or person that would probably be involved in scamming or stuff like that. Cause obviously they will buy the things. They've got the money to buy it. Mm -hmm. So being there, starting meeting guys that wasn't good for us, but at the same time they were spending and you know, not having a job, you stop living from, okay, we're gonna have beans and rice today to okay we're gonna go out and buy a big lunch because you know the guys we're hanging with is providing for us mm -hmm. so yeah started meeting wrong company and before i know it i'm around drugs and even though it wasn't my thing that i would be involved in but if it's there it was nothing to me like i got so used to it like or he'll be over there cutting up his thing or cooking his thing. I'm over here with my friends talking, laughing, having a mm. drink. It was nothing. If they would say, okay, count this out for me, we'll count it out, give it back to them. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a big thing because mm. we got used to it. Even though we know it was wrong, I think maybe because no one that we knew in our little circle would get caught or no one would end up getting hurt by anything so you know you just live because there's nothing really there as a concern mm -hmm. and then before you know it i was hanging with a friend that um at the time was my best friend mm -hmm. and she had her issues at home she also was on benefit she would get her money she wouldn't pay her rent and then um when she started to sell the drugs, she basically got um, summoned by the court to pay a thousand pounds something by a certain time. So she decided she was going to sell the drugs. And I decided, well, I'm not going to let my friend go by herself to this place where she's going to go. So I decided to go with her. Um, we went one time, she made enough money. Second time, you know, she was making third time <laughs> that's when we got caught mm -hmm. and yeah they raided the house 
um, got arrested and then it just went left after that. Mm. And so then you ended up being yeah, in um, a prison sentence for all this. So mm -hmm. when I turned up at court, I didn't even know that I was going to get sentenced. Because I went there so suave, like, you know, no bags, no nothing, I packed nothing because mm. we had different days when we'd go. And then we'll go and they will just ask, what's your plea? We'll give the plea. And then we'll go back the following week, it's the same nonsense. And every week, it, like, every time we'd go, it's the same mm. stupid stuff. So this time, I didn't, I was so not prepared. My, my judge, um, my lawyer, he had no idea of what was going to happen. All he know that he had the letter that we were supposed to turn up at court for that day. So he prepared what he thought, well, we thought he prepared what he needed to. Then when we went to court, he didn't even know that this was our sentencing. And we went in thinking, as I said, it's just a normal stuff. And then they say, okay, today's your sentencing. I screamed like, oh, hell no. No, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared for this. I didn't even pack anything. I didn't even know. I didn't tell my mom. It was mad. When they told me 24 months, I think for a minute I just blocked right out. I don't know what else happened after that. All I know, um, cuffs went on and we went out through the back of some place down into some dungeon place looking thing into cells and then a van turned up about an hour after and then the van came and goes all right ladies we're gonna be taking you to holloway oh jesus i felt like i'm dead now because all the stories i'd hear about holloway prison is like mm -mm, i'm not built for this i'm gonna die within the first two days I went, I just went crazy. My first night was scary because you could hear other persons screaming and banging and alarms going off and officers running. It was very scary. But as soon as I went on to my, my home wing <laughs> for the time I was there and I met other ladies that, you know, was my similar age group to myself and our officers on our wings was very encouraging also. Time went, you know, it wasn't as scary as I thought it would be, but I have experienced and seen some scary stuff in there, like persons trying to hang themselves, person cutting themselves, officers having to be running up and down, trying to get persons from, like, fighting and, you know, when they get on each other and they've made their homemade equipment and stuff, trying to stop that from happening. Like, it was really... I don't know, it's a 50-50, it was good and it was bad. And so you picked Jack Your yeah. as the next song, so maybe you can right. explain why. Um, I chose Jack Your Prison Is Not A Bed Of Roses. Um, I chose that song because while I was in prison, it was one of my songs that I tend to listen every day. And I don't know, maybe because Jack Your himself was in prison and while he was in prison, he wrote that song listening to him it was like i'm connecting with someone that's basically in the situation that i'm in even though there was other ladies that was there but you know sometimes music kind of soothes us all so jackie was my soother whenever i felt myself anxious jackie was the soother Boom. Okay, so while you're in prison, mm -hmm. um, you receive a letter that you've been threatened with deportation. Yeah, when I was in prison, 
after I'm finally settling in and I'm thinking, okay, I can do this, I'm going to do it and get out, like about, oh, maybe about the third month, no, the fourth month of being there, um, I had a letter from home office to say, basically, I am liable for deportation under the section this, that, whatever knows what. And um, at the time, I think, to be honest, I didn't really take it serious because I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe it's, you know, regular things to go through knowing that I am a foreign national and I've got my lawyer, he's going to sort this, I'll be out in no time. But then I was removed from Holloway and put into another prison called Downview. And then while I was in Downview, that's when reality kicks in because that's where you start to go and see your immigration officers and they start to explain the situation more in depth. And going to see one of these immigration officers and trying to speak to them about what's happening, what is this about, I think he was probably one of the rudest immigration I've ever met. He was like, oh, if I was you, I wouldn't even try to contest this because firstly, you do not have your stay. And secondly, you've gotten yourself a, um, a drug offence charge. So therefore, I don't really think you have any grounds. That was devastating, thinking, I didn't even want to come to this country in the first place. And now I'm here. I've been here from I'm 12 years old. And the fact that I've been to school here, I've spent all of my childhood years here. I've got my mom, I've got my stepdad, I've got my little brother then why um, have I not got any grounds? Like, doesn't everyone make mistakes? Don't persons who are born in the country commit crimes like every day they go to prison today, they come out tomorrow, they're back in the next day. Like, I've made one mistake. Are you going to use this to, like, crucify me sort of thing? So dealing with him was hard. And then in the beginning when um, the lawyer was on the case, he was saying, okay, I've got this ground and I've got that grounds and the fact that, you know, I was young when I committed a crime and everything that he could think of to kind of fight the case. And when he puts it to me, I'm like, okay, well, I don't have to worry about this. My lawyer sound like he's got everything mm -hmm. in order. So it wasn't really a big concern until when December the 3rd came and I'm supposed to be released and then they're gonna say to me you're not going to go home You're being released from the prison, but you're gonna go to a detention center mm. Imagine being in prison for an entire year And then at the end of it again, you're going to another prison and you know You've already done your time for the crime that you've committed mm. and Going into detention that's when I'm like, okay, then, then the, this is serious because you know, in detention is strictly immigration issues. You're called 24 seven to go to legals. Then you will have someone come and interview you. And then you think, okay, I'm getting somewhere. And then bam, the next day they send you a next letter to say, okay, you're liable for deportation. They've turned down this ground. You don't have a ground on, you don't have um, enough evidence to prove your grounds so we're gonna turn it turn it down so as i said like being there and then i got bail came out it was scary because even being out you're so used to being confined once i go in my room and i close the door i just feel like i'm supposed to stay there until my mom calls me for me to come out so it was hard coming out and walking on the street the car seems as though they're going like 100 miles an hour everything is just fast because mm. you don't see cars in prison or in the detention mm. so when i came out it was really scary as to get so anxious and it was hard and then to come out and then i'm signing on as well you're signing on it's still scary because you don't know what's next this is signing on at a home office report. Yes, I had to sign on at the home, um, every home office every Monday. Every week. Yeah, every Monday oh, without and fail. Maybe that's a good time to play your next song, which is another Jamaican artist, this Busy yeah. Signal track. So why did mm. you pick this song? Okay, when I was signing on mm. every day, <laughs> I used to listen to this song. Because, you know, you have your phones, you have your earphones, mm. and I always listen to it. I ain't going back to jail again no way no how people would be on the bus and like things would happen and i would run off the bus i don't want to be a witness i don't want to get hit and i have to get involved i used to just run away from everything so 
it was just a thing hanging over my head of all the things I had to go through being in prison and then the detention situation, I was not going back. So this song kind of just kept me focused. No matter what the negativities are being said there, no matter who's trying to get you out, you don't want to go back. So that was my song that, you know, kept me grounded. Okay, so you're signing on every week yeah. at the Home Office Reporting Centre. Every Monday Center. for 10 o'clock. Every Monday at 10 o'clock yeah. and you're living back with your mum. Yeah, and this was in Handsworth and I had to go all the way to Solihull. That's like two different buses. Luckily in that time, I met my boyfriend, which I'm still with at currently. Um, I shouldn't even say boyfriend because that sounds, you know, youngish. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I met my partner mm -hmm. and... He was supportive, like he's had so many friends that's been through the same situation, so he was able to call around and ask advice and stuff. And, you know, he became my main support because mm -hmm. my mom started to literally lose her mind, not knowing what to do and blaming herself, like for taking me from Jamaica, bringing me there, and then now mm -hmm. I'm having to endure this. I decided, okay, I'm going to try again on the basis of my boyfriend because he had two um, kids. They lost their mom. Their mom passed off in their sleep and he was the main carer. And me and him was together. The kids, you know, became my kids because mm -hmm. the youngest one, when I got him, he was three. And then the oldest one, when I had him, he was seven. No, sorry, he was nine. Mm -hmm. He was nine, yeah. So, you know, they were like my babies. Mm -hmm. And I became full-time mom, you know, cook, clean, wash the baby's clothes, made sure they go to school while he would go and work and do what he needs to do to provide for us. And, you know, I built a family unit. Like, immigration was whatever. There was not a problem because I didn't know where I was living. I wasn't getting myself into any trouble for them mm -hmm. to become a pest in my life anymore. So I was just living. And then about three years after this, I'm at home and my friend called me and said, why are you in the newspaper? You're wanted. I'm like, wanted? For what? I ain't killed no one. I haven't fought anyone. Mm -hmm. So I phoned the immigration. I can't remember if it's the one in London or it was Solio. I phoned them to like, why am I in the newspaper? Is this your doing or is it a crime? And they were saying, oh, you've stopped signing on. So now you've become wanted you're supposed to be signing on we've lost track of you we don't know where you are what you're doing i said okay no problem went to my lawyer he put some more paperwork together to say listen she's been going to college she's achieved certificates like six month courses that i could have done um i've achieved all of these things i'm now a mom to two step boys and the school is, you know, supportive of her and saying mm. since she's become, since she's come into the kid's life, they've started to read better. They started to do more at school. They've improved because I don't play. Like every Friday after school, books, I've got my little chalkboard. I will teach them, write things on there, give them math sums, English things to do. Then once they've done it, then Saturday they will get their treats. I'll take them TGIs or I'll take them shopping or something. So, you know, I was full-time mommy. Mm -hmm. Right, so um, they had a social worker as well that came in to assess me and the boys. And even, like, even the social worker cried. She was like, I look at these boys and if I didn't know your case and your situation, there's no one in this world that could have told me that these boys are not yours. They look like me, even mm -hmm. though they're not my kids. Mm -hmm. And... 
just the way how they are with me, they're loving. Like mm. if I'm sat somewhere for too long, they will come over and kiss me and hug me. Are you okay? Are you sad? Don't worry. If you go to Jamaica, we'll come. They always know that I've got, you know, that little thing at the back of my mind thinking, what's next? What if? Mm. You know, what if something happens to their dad? I'm not going to be able to provide because I'm not in the position. So they always knew that something was there. Social worker wrote a very lovely letter that went with the things that I submitted. And unfortunately, they didn't accept it. And I didn't know they didn't accept it until the morning they turned up at my house. They knocked at my door like a normal neighbor, just bang, bang. I opened the door. There was two guys. There was a black guy and there was a white guy. And I was like, you know, cause I'm not expecting anything. So I was like, hello, good morning. Then bam, the badge came out. Okay, we're immigration and basically we're here today to detain you. For what? Your papers have been turned down. Okay, um, can I call my lawyer? Yes, you can call your lawyer, but we have to come in. Imagine, I'm in my robe and I'm like, can I go upstairs to put some clothes on? I went upstairs. The immigration officer came with me. I'm in my room trying to get changed and he stood at my door checking to ensure that, you know, I'm not trying to escape or I'm not trying to take anything that I'm not supposed to take or I'm not doing anything to endanger myself or harm myself. So, like, all my privacy went from then. And then imagine, the dinner come in the night where, you know, I can hide and go in the car and things, you know, can go smoothly. They came in the day when everyone's out everyone's looking it was so embarrassing mm. and they took me to this police station when i got there and they put my um they run my fingerprints and stuff nothing came on the system about my crime nothing I went into the room and he said basically your case has been turned down and there's a flight that's booked for you on the 7th of september and there's nothing you can do you've exhausted all your grounds <laughs> so I just smiled because at the time I was like, okay then, am I that much of a criminal that you couldn't tell me this beforehand? That way I could have, you know, packed myself or buy my own ticket to avoid all these embarrassment. Then he was like, oh, because you have stopped signing on before, we didn't want you to stop signing on again and then mm. you disappear. Then um, from there, he took me back to Yarswood which Yarswood that I'm used to when I left in 2011 was not Yarswood. It was dirty, it was disgusting, there were short staff, the food was disgusting, the rooms were, I don't know, you just look in there, you can just see bacteria, germs, it's just not being taken care of. And it was just horrible. I just couldn't fight no more. I didn't want to go through another 11 months being in that place because the first time when I was in detention, I see people being illegally removed, like officers would tell everyone, get to your room, get to your rooms, and they'll close the main doors that would take you to like the stairs or, you know, the exit points, they would close those main doors. And I don't know what happened one of these days, but I think I was in the living room getting some water from the water dispenser. And on my way back, I realized the doors were closed. But because I'm in there and the, the microphone was not working, I didn't hear when they said everyone to go to their rooms. So I've walked into the shit. I mean, I've walked into it where they're injecting this woman. She's flung, they flung her in the wheelchair. And when they realized I was there, they started shouting, why are you not in your room? Why are you not in your room? So I, in a sense, I kind of thought that was one of the reasons why my bail was so quick as well. I thought... Maybe they had put that in the case that I had witnessed these things and they don't know if I'm going to take it anywhere else. Mm. So I think that was one of the grounds as well why I was released so quick with my bell. Not sure, I'm just saying. Mm. But being there this second time and knowing the things that can happen then, I just didn't want to fight no more. And to do 11 months being sat in there and not being able to do anything for myself in a sense where I can't go out there if you know something happens to my stepkids I'm stuck in behind these walls mm. you can't do video calls because you only got these little tiny phones that you can only call and those phones are monitored mm. 
so you're just like oh whatever just just you know whatever is gonna happen let it be i didn't try and put in anything else but then the day of the flight i was supposed to be on like the back list so i was not supposed to actually come on the flight that left that day but then you know lawyers started fighting for their the the clients and those persons got taken off the flight so then i came forward mm. and then there i was bam on that flight on the charter flight right okay so now's a good time for your next piece of music which yeah. is by major mm-hmm. so if you can introduce that one for us okay so major this is why i love you is my song because during that whole detention time like my boyfriend was really what kept me sane because the things that passed through my mind at that time was like i'm gonna go back to jamaica and suffer anyway so here what you've got a chance just kill yourself do something to yourself cut your throat slit your wrist something do something that will stop this flight my boyfriend said listen if you have to go just go and we'll work the rest out there's nothing's too hard or too impossible to do but if you're dead there's nothing we can do so here what just go on that flight and you don't know maybe last minute your lawyer will come through with something and then you will probably be back so just you know keep your head on and just go i found love in you and i've learned to love me too never have i felt that i could be all that you see it's like our hearts have intertwined into the perfect harmony this is why i love you ooh this is why i love you because you And so you were on the flight, and then what was it like coming back to Jamaica? That was in 2016. Yeah, well, the flight itself was chaotic. Persons screaming and crying, asking why they're being put on a flight. They don't know anything about this flight. What they're doing is illegal. Mm-hmm. So, um, escort punching up another guy, and then I don't know what really took place with that situation. I just remember going to the bathroom, asking my escorts. I had two nice ladies. I remember asking them to bring me to the bathroom. Got to the bathroom. On my way out, they're trying to shield me from seeing what's happening. When I got into my seat, I just kind of peeped over, realized that there's a guy that's being restrained by the the officers and um he's trying to tell them to get off him get off him and they're saying if we get off you are you going to sit down and you are you going to sit down and shut up and he's like i will sit down but i'm not going to shut up because what you're doing is illegal Mm -hmm. none of my family know that i'm being removed i came to sign on yesterday he told me that i'm being detained um overnight so that i can see some jamaican high commission somebody to basically um prove that he is jamaican and then next thing he knows, he's on a flight. Mm-hmm. And he was not happy because, one, his baby mother had just had baby. And, you know, he wanted to be a part of his child's life. And he had no time to prepare. His baby mom didn't know what was happening. He didn't get to speak to his baby mom. Says that my baby mom probably think I've probably gone off with some next woman, not even knowing that I'm here in this kind of situation. So he was fighting like you know i don't want to go i don't want to go it's illegal and they're punching him and they're holding his head down on the chair one was sat on him the other one had took his shoes lace off and tied his hands together it was horrible and then when everyone kind of see what was going on with him then other persons started becoming irated and 
started to curse at the officers and then the officers for those persons who were cursing started to try restrain those persons and then spit started flying everywhere and like detain um the detainees started spitting on the officers officers are spitting back and my two little officers had to be covering me up and they even got emotional they're like jesus i've never been on a flight like this one of the lady was like this was her first flight and she's like i don't want to do this no more i'm mm. gonna apply for another job and the one that was there she's done a few but she's like this one has traumatized her she don't think she's gonna continue anymore she was like the pay is good that's about it but it hurts my heart when i see people like even you have to go through this because i explained you know the situation mm. and they were like um, you had a bad lawyer because there's no way you should have been in this position in the first place. And but as I said, the flight was scary. All I just remember praying was, God, please don't let anyone do anything stupid until this plane lands and I get off it. Mm. Just try, you know, just, just, I'm just trying to keep a level head. The officer that was sat to my left by the window, she moved. So I could have the window. The entire time I had to just keep my head outside to try and avoid what was going on in the plane. It was just awful. It was horrible. Like, difficult to even just think back on the things that happened. When we even came off the flight, the way they treated us as well, when we came back to Jamaica, the, the soldier's hair that was on the, the buses that was taking us from the, the airport to the... I remember what that place called, the barracks, and yeah, when they took us there, the way they dealt with us, they dealt with us like they were sure that we were all criminals and we were coming with guns and bombs. Like they didn't deal with us like persons that was coming from detention that only just had few little pieces of clothes. They were dealing with us like you know they were sure we we're gonna come and do things. Mm. We would ask if we could stand up because we've been sat down on the plane so long. Could we just stand on the bus and hold on? No, sit down. And it was, oh, it was hard, horrible. Awful. And then how was it for you adjusting? Well, when I came... Once you got, once you got out. The heat was... <laughs> I thought I was in hell. I was like, Lord, if this is what hell feel like, I want to go, like, mm -mm. I would do anything, just make that plane, just come back and let my name be called and I can just get back on that flight and be out of there. It was mm. awful. And then oof, the first couple months, I, I'm still probably not even used to heat even now because I can't sleep without my fan. When I'm out, I'm constantly fanning. I'm still trying to get used to the weather, but, you know, some days are nice, some days is dreadful. But, yeah. Okay, so now's a good time to pick your next piece of music, which is track number seven, which is by yeah. Brandy. Right. So this song is for my mum, um, though I'm missing you. Like, coming back, my mum was like my main source of help differently from my partner because i've always tried not to really to rely on my partner because i'm saying i'm in jamaica now he's over there you know we can mm. move on he can be like i can't do this distant thing no more but my mom was someone that was going to always be there and then unfortunately the stress of everything got to her so she went i wouldn't say mentally ill but she became very depressed Mm. that she started to just not take care of herself and she started to hallucinate she used to see things she used to say that i hate her um i remember for her birthday i didn't get the chance to call her because i was actually on a course a cosmet um cosmetology course learning how to do professional makeup and on that day i had an exam and the time difference you know i didn't get to call my mom usually like if i was in england i would call her the first thing in the morning or I'd bring her gifts overnight and hide them in the house and then tell her in the morning, oh, your gifts are upstairs or around the corner or something. And I didn't call her on that day. And then when I came home, my grandmother was like, your mother's in the hospital. I'm like, for what reason? She was like, she took it hard that you didn't call her for her birthday. I'm like, it's still early times. Like, what's wrong with her you know so i found her i didn't get to where i got through to my cousin that was there at the hospital with her and she was crying and saying i know you hate me and you blame me for you being back in jamaica and every time i call you you pretend like you're all right and i know you're not okay and you know um her health took a turn for the worst and she passed off so this song i chose for my mom I'm missing her, you know, 
I think about her all the time and I think where my life would be now even though I'm at a point where I'm okay but I knew if she was still alive I'd be in a better place mm. that makes sense Okay, so you've been back in Jamaica now mm -hmm. for two and a half years. Yeah. And you said, you know, that things are going okay all in all. So I just yeah. wanted to, you to reflect on how it's been after this time now. Okay, well, it's, it's rough as in um, the fact that I've got no qualifications here as yet. Mm -hmm. So getting a job is hard and then you'll have those little, we call them little side jobs that you can do like working in the wholesales and stuff but basically you're working to pay to go to work right so like yeah for if you work in a wholesale you'll get like fifteen thousand dollars every two weeks that's just a little bit about over 120 something pounds yeah yeah if that actually yeah well about there or so and remember you're getting paid every two weeks so you're paying, you, the pay that you get is the same money you're going to have to save to go back to work for the next two weeks. So it's rough on that sense. But luckily, while I'm here, I've, some of my friends have really kept in touch and, you know, been supportive. So at the moment, I'm actually studying to be a nurse mm. and I'm almost complete now. I've got three months left. I'm also my school's CC, so anything to do with the school, if my principal is not able to do it, then I have to basically stand in place of. But yeah, I'm actually, you know, I'm glad that I can finally do that because as I said in before, I've always wanted to do nursing or pediatrician and even if I'd stayed in England, I don't think I would have basically had the chance to really do it because of the fact that I've got a criminal record. So being here and actually doing now what I've always wanted to do from mm. being at 16, like I feel like I'm finally starting to make progress. And now that I'm nearing to then I'm so excited. I just, I just can't wait to finish now. <laughs> so yeah, I'm in a good place. I, I'm still and depressed in a sense where sometimes when things get hard and I think back on my mom, I get so angry like, I've been in England all these years and I've had my mom. And the funny thing is when we had went to court for my bail, she had said to the judge, if my child is to go back to Jamaica, I know it would kill me. But I didn't know it, she meant it literally. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, because sometimes, you know, we'll say things and we'll exaggerate something. So, but to know that I actually came home and she actually died. And it wasn't like there was any major nothing. She didn't have cancer. She didn't have something that, you know, you can say. She went in for a minor operation, like just those keyhole surgery thing. And while they, were, they did the surgery and she was in recovery at this hospital, she basically contracted pneumonia and then things got worse. And she just died. They didn't even call, like, the persons that went there to... Um, be with my mom when they were taking her up the machine no one ever even considered to call me it was like I'm at the country out of sight out of mind you know they didn't remember me <laughs> sort of thing so I didn't really get to say final goodbyes I didn't get to 
speak to my mom before she passed off. I just got that call that they turned the machine off and she's gone now. So I do have my moments when I feel angry, like I didn't even get to say goodbye and you know, does people actually die and their spirit still remain? Can she see me? Can she see that I'm actually doing good? And you know, I do tend to sit down and cry because she haven't even seen me have kids yet. I've made her, a, I haven't made her a grandmother. You know, we always had plans of working and building a house together. That didn't happen that everything that we had planned, none of it happened. So sometimes I'm sat down and I'm achieving certain things and I think she would have been a part of it. It makes me really emotional. But otherwise, from that, like, I've accepted that I'm here and, you know, I'm just trying to better myself. And as all my friends would say, England is not the only country that's there, you know. Just mm -hmm. stay focused, go for your career, and who knows what may happen. And so now your final piece of music. Yeah. Um, so I've chosen coffee, toast or coffee as people call it. Um, I chose that song because to me, just, it just it's the, the best song I can think of right now, you know, for where I am. Mm -hmm. Blessings comes in different forms. And sometimes like, you know, so all the things that was bad before and when I came, I couldn't really see what the future was going to be like. But now I'm like, you know, life can only get better. Ghost, yeah. So we are coming in with a force, yeah. Blessings we are reaping, we course in handful. Oh, in a rise and boast. Yeah, we give thanks like we need it the most. We have to give thanks like we really supposed to be thankful. Blessings all for me. Okay, well that's your eight songs. So yeah. now, uh -huh. um, I'm gonna ask you which one song mm -hmm. you would keep if you had to keep one of the eight. Though I'm missing you by Brandy because I miss England a lot. I find myself still comparing things like you know, mm. if I go to the tax office and it would take me like one year to get something on a card like your NIA number, which mm. is called a TRN. I'm like, if I was in England, you know, I would have this in like less than an hour. Why is it taking so long to print something on a card? Like, seriously, I do find myself doing that or yeah. that song I'd keep because I do miss England and I'll keep it because I miss my mom mm. and I'll keep it because I miss my, my stepboys and my partner mm. and just my entire life as in towards the end, you know, I'm not talking about the bad parts like the crimes and a bad crowd but you know when I came out of prison the life that I was starting to build for myself and my family I missed that mm. so I'd keep that because it kind of just me. sum up you know yeah everything and then you're also going to get the bible mm -hmm. and the complete works of Shakespeare that's what they give you yeah. and the Quran mm -hmm. but what other book would you take other book hmm I think I would actually, there's a book, I can't remember the name mm -hmm. of it, um, but it's a book that basically tells you about, you know, connecting with the universe, what you mm. say and how you say things, what you put out is what you'll get back. So if you're feeding negative energy into the air is what you're going to get back. So I would take that book to kind of remind me at all times, positive thinking, bring positive results. Mm -hmm. But I just can't remember the name of the book at the moment. You could do research before and find it out. Okay. Take it. Um, and then finally, one luxury item. Luxury item. Hmm. 
my shades. Shades. My shades. <laughs> I actually, do you know, it's funny that everyone in my community, they always, when I leave my house, if I don't have my shades on, they'll ask, what happened to your shades? Because <laughs> I'm in shades like every day. Um, some of my shades kind of bring out my beauty. So mm -hmm. I'd walk naked, but I'd keep my shades. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd say my looks active would be my shades. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story with me. Okay. No problem. <laughs> Thanks.